Welcome to Africans Heal. We're here to foster a healthy African diaspora community and promote mental health awareness through storytelling and celebrating our cultures. We're here to heal together. Tupone Pamoja. Hi all and welcome to this week's episode of Africans Heal. My name is Christine Kasakwa and I'm your host here on the African Seal podcast. I'm very excited to welcome our special guest for today's episode. His story is truly touching and inspiring. He went from facing many business related rejections to couch surfing with family and friends and going through what felt like the end of himself to now owning a very successful clothing brand that has been a great cultural representation and connection in the African diaspora community. Welcome Paco Esando, the founder and CEO of Mizizi. Christine, thank you for inviting me on to Africans Heal. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for coming through. And I can't wait to hear you share your story. I'm sure it's going to bless so many of us. Thank you. I appreciate the support, love, everything that you show. I'm grateful. So I know we're going to talk about your brand and you and, you know, what makes you you. But I just wanted us to start with you sharing what is your cultural background? Who's Paco Esando? So as you said, my name is Paco Asando. I am 26 years old. I'm Ghanaian American. I was born in Brooklyn, um, Brooklyn, New York. And then I only lived there till I was like two years old before me and my mom ended up moving to Columbus, Ohio. So I spent most of my childhood out there in a, uh, a bit of a posh neighborhood before we relocated again whenever I was 10 years old down to Dallas, Texas. And I spent most of my adolescence out here where um, I went through all my teenage years, middle school, high school, graduated. And then I went to the University of South Florida for my university college training. Um, and then once I graduated, I came back home and, and now I'm residing back home in Dallas. You said you're Ghanaian. So what, mm-hmm. is that on your mom's side or your dad's side? On both sides. But it's always just oh. been me and my mom. So I don't necessarily know my dad's side too well. Okay. Yeah. I was like, oh, his name sounds really cool. So at first I thought your name were like Senegalese or something. It's West African, but not quite Senegalese. Paco um, <laughs> means boy born on Thursday. Oh, that's what it means. And what does Asando mean? Asando is just some made up Portuguese last name that's been cut down to make it to, to sound African. Apparently. Oh, <laughs> okay, cool. Good to know. Yeah, I need to go find out the meaning of my names because I don't really know what they mean. I do know my last name meaning, but I don't know the meaning of my middle name. So it's good mm-hmm. that you know the meaning of your names. I feel like names carry a lot of history. And when we know, we understand like what our names mean, it just helps us understand ourselves better. And then um, I just wanted us to talk about how um, a lot has happened over the past two years with the pandemic. And I know that you own your business with the pandemic still going on. I know like we've had vaccines and people are getting boosters and we're thankful for that. What habits or hobbies have you been engaging in to help you with your mental health? I would say the biggest thing has been consistently. So I joined a boxing gym. Um, I was working out, like doing the home workouts for a good portion of 2020, but after a little bit, it, it, it just got too repetitive. Um, so I joined the boxing gym at the beginning of 2021 and I've been going pretty consistently anywhere from three to five times a week doing one to three a days. So like getting a good workout in, in the beginning Mm -hmm. of the day or middle or end has helped my mental health 
tremendously. I've also been trying to pick up new habits or just start digging back into my childhood and remembering what was it that I used to do back then that I would just have fun doing. And one of them was, was roller skating. I've been skating a little bit here and there. I got my own pair of skates not too long ago. And yeah, just kind of going back to my childhood, trying to unlock childhood memories and remind myself like as a kid, what was the things that brought me bliss? I think sometimes we that's like the best place to start to ask ourselves like what kind of child were we and what brought us joy so that's a good place to start it was one of those things that like kept popping up in the beginning of the pandemic you started seeing all the the um like tiktoks of people skating or the videos on instagram so i was like all right let me let me just go skate just for the hell of it and whenever i did i just remembered i was like oh yeah like i used to skate when i was younger i used to have a lot of fun doing this i forgot about this yeah um, kind of like that muscle memory kicked in so it, it, it was pretty nice i think it's on Brene brown who says that play is so important and it's so underrated Definitely. Yeah. yeah. Work hard, play harder. <laughs> exactly. So the name Mizizi really stuck out to me and I could really relate to the, just you owning a clothing brand. And I was really intrigued by that. So for those of you who are listening, I have not shared this story. And back in 2017, I tried to establish this clothing brand called Vazi. And it was born out of vending clothes at a mental health awareness fashion show. That's actually how African Hills came up later. And from that experience, I learned that it's not easy to start a business, one. And two, it's not easy owning a clothing brand. You need to get a manufacturer. You need to get have a business plan. You need money to keep it running. And you need a team. You need a seamstress or tailor. You need somebody to make the clothes for you. So I quickly learned that it was not an easy process. So I was like, I have to talk to Paco to hear how he made, he brought this off the ground and how it's so successful now because it's not easy, especially venturing into the African diaspora community selling clothes. That is just something that is quite challenging. So I wanted you to talk to us about Mizizi. How did it come to be? How was it born? And then explain to us like why the name Mizizi. So I originally had conceived the idea of Mizizi. This was my freshman year at the University of South Florida. So there was this kid that uh, would come in the dining halls. His name was George. He was this Kenyan kid. And he would wear like the coolest stuff that we'd wear over here in the States, but have Kenyan fabric stitched into it. Um, my first year in Tampa, I was pretty lonely. I didn't really have any friends. I had a handful, but I was having trouble making them. So Mazizi's originally started off as just a pa- passion project to keep me distracted. I've always been entrepreneurial or just kind of lucrative since it's always been me and my mom, single child, single parent household. I've always kind of been independent and had to get creative with ways to make money. So yeah, so once I had met George, I kind of been inspired to to do something that was similar to what he was already wearing, but just to bring it here in the States. And so like I started brainstorming. Mazizi is supposed to be everything from head to toe, literally hats, pants, shirts, socks, the whole nine yards. And I, I wanted it to be like Afrocentric, something surrounding Africa, mm-hmm. but I didn't want it to be like the typical Afro XYZ. I figured that was a little bit too cliche. So I was wondering like, okay, if anything, How about I write down a list of words that is related to Africa and then I'll have it translated to see if any of these translations sound good. So I wrote the list. George translated all of them for me. When we got down to roots, he said Mzizi. I was like, oh, (laughs) Oh, that's kind of smooth. I like how that sounds. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, so I, I stuck with it. And then over the next course of the next year and a half, um, I, I traveled to, this, to New York, tried to find a manufacturer. So yeah, so like I had gone to New York, tried to find a manufacturer. They had told me that I was trying to do too much at once. And keep in mind, I was trying to do... So I was trying to find someone that would do everything from start to finish, literally from product design and ideation, because I can't draw, um, all mm. the way to shipping and distribution, because I also didn't plan on staying in Tampa. I, I was really lonely my freshman year, yo. So I, I didn't have intentions on staying out there, but I'm glad I thug through it. But yeah, so I went to New York, tried to find a manufacturer, told me I was do, doing too much. I ended up downsizing on the idea and focused in on like African baseball jerseys just because there was a baseball jersey trend at the time and I hadn't seen anything like it before. I ended up taking time off of school, worked in the career field that I was supposed to be in. So I was originally going to school to become a pharmacist. And whenever I took time off of school, my sophomore, this was like my sophomore uh, fall semester, I worked as a pharmacy tech at a retail pharmacy and it was just, it, it was hell. Like I really hated it. Um, and not, not to knock the pharmacy profession because it's a noble one to an extent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the fact that you're helping people and it just wasn't for me. At the time I was working two jobs. So I was working at Buffalo Wild Wings on the weekend and then I was working as a server on the weekend and then I was working as the pharmacy tech on the weekdays. And I could tell the difference in my energy levels just from working shifts at both jobs. When I work an eight-hour shift as a pharmacy tech, I would come home drained. I wouldn't want to do anything. I'd be dreading my next day. And I hated it. And when it came to working as a server, I could work like a 14-hour double shift, get off, party, have fun, still wake up the next day and be excited. So it was like kind of a pivotal moment for me. I had to recognize that like, all right, maybe the path that I already had been on isn't necessarily the best path for me. And I started taking the ZZ more seriously. I ended up going back to school. This is my sophomore spring semester. So this is like January of 2015. This is whenever I was couch surfing. Like I, I, although I had made money from those jobs, I poured all those into kind of further developing the designs for Mazizi. So I didn't have money to pay rent. All my friends had already roomed together. So I was just kind of hopping between friends to see if I could save some money until work, get through the semester and then see where things go the following semester. That was hell. Uh, it's not easy sleeping on someone's couch, especially if like the people that you live with aren't clean. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was it was a rough period of my life, yo. Like it was, it was really rough. But after it, by summertime, summer 2015, I was like, I got to get the fuck out of Tampa. Ended up going to Orlando, and like I stayed with a friend that I grew up with named Zane. Throughout this time, I had kind of further been developing the idea of Mazizi, figuring out a business plan behind it, figuring out where which uh, African populations had the biggest like communities within the United States, figuring out who they were following on social media. This was also during like the African dad vine trend that was that was popping. Mm-hmm. So like it was the Afropolitan was was becoming a bit more like pop culture and being a bit more present in your face on a day-to-day basis. And um I had still been trying to inquire with manufacturers while I was living in Orlando, but everybody was still telling me that it was just too expensive. And from there, I was like, okay, well, if I can't, if I can't make it happen myself, how about I license the designs, make money off royalties, and just show them how to sell it. So I hit up everybody I could. I hit up all the companies I found that were in like the African apparel or streetwear space within like the United States, Canada, Europe. And everybody told me no. Everybody had either ignored me or said that they had too much on their plate or it was a cool idea, but they just didn't have the capacity. And um, 
literally at the end of summer, by this time I was about to give up because I was, I was literally just over it all. I had spent damn near two years and all this money. I had traveled, pouring it into an idea that I just couldn't make feasible. I couldn't make happen. Until the last person that I had reached out to trying to license designs had pointed me in the direction of manufacturing overseas in Asia. So once I did that and got a few quotes, I was like, oh, this is literally a third of the cost of anything that I was being charged over here in the States. And when I got some samples in, it was literally 10 times the quality of anything that that any of the other manufacturers had, had offered me. By then, I already had the business plan. I knew where the populations were at. I knew how to sell the product. I knew how to market it on socials. I was like, fuck, I can actually do this. So I set up a photo shoot. And then on August 30th, 2015 was whenever I officially launched Mazizi. And I've been doing it full time ever since. Well, congratulations on launching it. And it's still standing. And I I hope it continues to grow into something even bigger. Amen. Um, from, <laughs> from your story, I can tell that you're very self-aware. And I couldn't help but imagine how hard it was for you to decide to switch career paths, especially at such a young age, Mm -hmm. when some of us, like it took us years to even come to terms with that. So how was it dealing with with that? Because at that time, you didn't know how successful Mizizi was going to be or what was going to happen to your future. How did you handle letting go of one dream to pursue another? Pharmacy was never like a dream dream. I even before Mazizi, I didn't know what I wanted to do growing up. I just thought it was a secure route that didn't involve too much blood. But there was job security and there's money. And it was at the time, I thought it was low maintenance. Um, mm-hmm. But so that being said, it wasn't like the most difficult for me to let go of. It was more so jumping into that uncertainty was a bit nerve wracking. But I, I really credit a lot to George. Like he, he inspired me a lot my freshman year because at the time, what do you say? He said money doesn't discriminate. Literally anybody can get it at any age. And mm. he was 20, he was 20 years old at the time. I think I was 19. And he was making 4,000 a month back home in Kenya, renting like a dental service clinic. And, um, and yeah, so I was like, how are you 20 years old? And you're literally in college for fun. Like, what's, what's going on here? Am I something yeah. right? But that kind of showed me like, oh, anything really is possible. Like no matter what the age and regardless of what path you might have originally been on, Life is fluid and it can flow in any direction that you choose it may be. So he was really pivotal in how you began to see your life and like helping you shift your mindset. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. In my mind up a lot. So I was like, oh, oh, this shit's actually possible. You know, life, yeah. life can really be whatever we make it. And I'm, I'm grateful that I learned that at such a young age because I was definitely I mean, I've always been a stubborn guy. But I was definitely a bit more close-minded and a bit more hard-headed when I was younger coming out of high school. So it's like you established your why at that time. So when you went through the rejections of the multiple business proposals and when you were staying with friends, like it kind of kept you going? Kind of. Like, like, don't be wrong. Like there was plenty of times where I wanted to give up or days where I was mm-hmm. just like, fuck this and I'm not, I'm not pouring into it. But my other alternative wasn't any better. So I was just like, all right, so I might as well keep pushing forward because like, I don't want to continue going through school. I'm already paying out-of-state tuition. So I'm already in debt, having to go to more school just to end up back at that place that I had already had some experience in doing the same job that I was already doing, but just with a little bit more responsibility. I was, mm-hmm. uh, I would be counseling patients or like scheduling or sig- give, putting my signature on like the schedule two drugs, like Adderall and stuff. That's not the life that I wanted to live. So I was like, all right, I need to make something else happen. I need to make something else shake in the meantime. 
So you do you do mention George, who was there for you, and you have your mom as well. Who else was in your support circle that helped you handle this time? Because I can tell like that must have been taxing on your mental health. Definitely. I would say like I've always had like a strong support system of friends um, in Texas growing up. And literally, I, I really attribute it to my friends because like without them, there's no way I would have been able to keep sane. Just having friends that I could go to, to, to vent, not even to tell them my ideas, but to just, just to vent, let them know that I'm kind of going through it and just have know that somebody cares that I'm going through it. It, it really did a lot for me. And have you also gone to therapy between now and then? So yeah, I, I started therapy back in, I want to say 20, when did we come back from South Africa? Was it 2019? I started therapy in 2019 because I recognized that I was acting subconsciously on things that I didn't recognize that I was doing. I was just being reckless. Um, and I had to have some friends like not have an intervention, but really just sit my ass down and question me like, bro, where's all this coming from? And that kind of triggered me that pushed me to actually get in therapy because I was like, okay, I never want to be the type of leader that's leading people that has put their trust in him in the wrong direction because I'm not, I'm too scared to focus on myself or turn inward and, and focus on improving. So yeah. So af- after like a series of reckless events, I hopped into therapy and it's been a blessing ever since. What did you learn specifically? Like what's one thing you learned specifically from therapy that directly affected your leadership skills or like your, how you are as a leader? I have learned so much. Um, I think one thing that has helped me a lot is there's so many different directions I can take this in. It's taught me to to at least detach myself from the business. I think a lot a lot of um, startup founders, it gets very easy to have your your own like identity be completely intertwined with whatever you create. And like a lot of people like to say you are what you create, but essentially you you aren't. You know, like at the end of the day, you're not. You're you're a human being. You're a person. What you create is a result of such. And yeah, so I, I, I just used to have a lot of trouble with over-identifying with Mazizi, having to take every single moment to to relate to it in some shape or form um, and realizing that like, no, it's okay to be Paco. You know, you were Paco before Mazizi, you'll be Paco with Mazizi and you'll be you'll still be Paco after Mazizi if there is ever after. So yeah, so that's that's kind of been like one of the biggest uh, takeaways for me when it comes to therapy. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that no, and opening means. up. By all means. Because like I said, it gets really easy because when you're the CEO, you want to put your face everywhere. You want to spread the word as much as you can. You want to make sure that um, the brand is successful. But it's also possible to lead quietly. You don't have to be the face. You don't have to bring it up in every conversation. You can still be successful regardless of... I mean, you got to be obsessive. But you can be... There, there's just different ways to go about it. Yeah. So balancing it out. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You did mention you have a Ghanaian background, but there's like a specific distinction on some of us who've even lived here, let alone those of us who've been born here. So how was it as a black man venturing into an African space to sell your product? Like what kind of cultural challenges did you face? And you also mentioned that you've been to South Africa. So maybe maybe I could actually word it that way. So when you visited these multiple African countries, how was it trying to venture in to market your product or just for you as a person, how did that affect you? So it's it's been interesting. We've traveled a lot with Mzizi actually. In South Africa, we were received really, really, really well. The fact that I'm an African-American coming back to Africa, selling a product that represents Africa and encouraging other Africans to, to just be promoting like the African pride and unity. We were received well, but at the same time, 
our price point was a little high for for that market. And that's been something that's been a little bit difficult in regards to like, because you'll see when it comes to African people tend to spend more money on at least once back home, spend more money on utility rather than like design. If that makes mm-hmm. sense, um, they're spending their money on things that are useful or things that they actually like use or, or do something with. Although clothing is in that fast, I don't think it's necessarily like an absolute necessity. So it, we've had some friction there, but that's also kind of with the older generations. Mizizi has kind of been accepted with open arms since its inception. We went viral when we first launched on social media. I do get a little kickback about not being Ghanaian enough or, or just it being surprising that like, I am such a, I don't want to say typical black American, but I'm, I'm very, the more I travel, the more I see like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm definitely a black American. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so like, it, there's always that part. But at the end of the day, I think people have, they, they generally accept like our overall mission, what we're doing and are proud to see that, I mean, we're a young black company that's successful. Mm-hmm. So as a Black, Ghanaian, African-American man, what struggles have you faced when it comes to cultural identity? And how do you how do you ident- identify yourself? I know I called you Black, African-American, <laughs> Ghanaian, but how do you identify yourself? And what struggles have you faced when it comes to cultural identity? I have faced struggles figuring out who the hell I am since, since I was born. Literally... Coming from such a black ass neighborhood in Brooklyn and then going to a really white, posh neighborhood in Ohio was was confusing for me. I definitely wanted to be a little white boy when I was a kid. I used to want to have Danny Phantom hair and just like just just extra. Coming to Texas was whenever I got like my first taste of like, no, you're black. <laughs> and <laughs> I used to get bullied for it a lot. Uh, a lot of people used to call me Oreo and like it, there was a bit of transitioning. And even in high school, it wasn't until I started accepting like my Ghanaian side and like really just being more prideful in it. And then in college, although I was I was proud about being Ghanaian, my school one didn't necessarily have too many of them. And two, a lot of the people that were like African at USF were international students or straight from the continent. So although you can say yeah, that, that you're Ghanaian and you meet someone who's straight from Ghana, I didn't always necessarily live up to their standards, if that makes sense. So I've always had been in this weird space. At the end of the day, I'm African, I'm black. I'm aware of whatever audience I'm around. And that's usually how I identify just typically. But at the end of the day, I just, I'm just a black guy, man. Up until very recently, therapy and discussions on mental health were very challenging to have in the Black community, especially for Black men. And as a young Black man, how has your view on masculinity shifted over the years? So we'll turn the tables here a little bit. I know that was like a complete (laughs) switch. (laughs) Um, But it's a question I've always wanted to ask Black men, like how their view, what their view on masculinity is. I would say my my view on masculinity has changed in becoming more empathetic. And I would I would attribute that a lot to like so I don't have any blood sisters, but I do have sisters like Chisholm, Sana, Ivy, Sasha. They're all women that are close to my life that have just in talking to them have shown me another perspective that like, oh, I didn't necessarily realize that my actions would make one feel that way. Or just making mm-hmm. me a bit more self-aware about my own masculinity and what that means in in the context of women. So yeah, I I think that like I've become a lot more empathetic and recognizing that masculinity is literally about empathy and like um, being able to connect connect with another human being and recognizing that 
they're human as well. You know, all that ego, all that pride, all that extra shit, it's, it's for what? It's all fluff. It's not necessary. And it's, it's what's portrayed to be like macho or masculine, but none of that shit matters at the end of the day. What are three things you'd share with your younger self, knowing what you know today? Three things that I would share with my younger self, even though that is challenging to, to balance relationships and business, it's a necessity. Never put Never put your business before people because at the end of the day, people are what make the business run or people are what make the business even worthwhile. That would be my first big one. Second would be your sense of urgency and importance doesn't necessarily equate to the next person's sense of urgency and importance. So be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's been times where I've been a bit, like I guess I can be a stubborn guy. So I, I, I know I've rubbed a few people the wrong way. Third... I would say don't get too caught up in your own thoughts. Don't at the end of the day, overthinking really just is that it's overthinking and everything that you're thinking about is imaginary. What's real is what you actually do. That's good. Yeah. If you are mentoring someone and they came to you and told you that they feel confused and don't know if they're on the right path career wise or just in general, what advice would you give them? Try shit out. Literally everything in life is about trying and experiencing. And the more that, the more that you learn that you don't like, the closer that you'll get to the things that you do like. What qualities do you love about yourself? I, I think I can be a little charming. I think, <laughs> I think I'm a likable guy. Um, I would say, although I talk shit about it, I do like my stubbornness because I'm the, on the same coin. It's, it's persistence and persistency. I I like to say I'm, I'm a pretty level-headed guy. No me wrong, I'm, I'm still human. So there's times where I do the most, but... I think I handle pressure and just like intense situations fairly well. Cause like there's things that I'm saying, but, and I'm still like counter arguing with myself in my head. So I was like, I can't fully say that. Um, just recognizing that life is fluid. Like, although I can be rigid sometimes, like the fact that I recognize that at such a young age, it's helped me navigate through life a lot just smoother without getting too caught up in like the hard things. And is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Um, you can take your time on this one. <laughs> you can give us a TED Talk, 10 minutes, TED Talk, anything you want to share with us. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of giving unsolicited advice just because I know how that feels when people are always trying to tell you, oh, you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to live a better life. And it's just like, no, 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 you don't. At the end of the day, like your life is your life. It's your game. It's your reality. You make it what it is. You know what I'm saying? Like we all have our own stack of cards. We all have our own circumstances that we're dealing with. Stop bitching. Just handle up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So where can people find you? Where can they find your information on online? And where can they find Mizizi's information? If they're listening, they're like, you know what? I really want to talk to Paco. Like, I feel like I can relate to his story and I'd love to just talk with him. Where can they find you? And if they're like, oh, I want to see his march and buy something, where can they find that? So, I mean, I'm literally, it's just my first and last name across all social media platforms. So Paco Asando, P-A-A-K-O-W-E-S-S-A-N-D-O-H. Um, I also offer business coaching services. Um, and if you want to find the brand, if you want to check us out, you can find Mazizi at www.mazizishop.com. And then we're Mazizi Shop across all social media platforms. So M-I-Z-I-Z-I. 
S-H-O-P. I'll have all that in the notes. And also before you go, I wanted you to share with us, where are you guys going next? Are you, I know with COVID, a lot of businesses have just been strictly online. There's been very few in-person vending. Do you do in-person vending at all? And if so, like what cities are you going to be going to? I definitely just came back from a, a mini vending tour to where we went to, we started in Dallas, then Atlanta, LA, Oakland, DC, Houston, and then ended in Dallas. Um, we'll be vending at Afrochella on December 28th, if the episode comes out before then, for anybody who's going to Ghana. But really, just keep up with Mazizi, and we always announce where we're going to be at. We tend to go, we pop up everywhere, yo. We pop up okay. everywhere. So we got a little skin in the game. We've gone to Essence. We've gone to Afropunk. It really just depends on the year and what's happening. Okay. Okay. We'll share all that. Well, thank you so much for coming through. Thank you for being so open and vulnerable. It's not easy sharing our stories publicly. So I really appreciate that you came on here to share your story today. Yep. Yeah. Christine, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for, for inviting me on to African Seal. And to all that's listening, y'all have a happy Thanksgiving. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support. Please be sure to leave us a review. That will be very beneficial. It will help put this podcast on the map so others can find it. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Africans Heal. Check out our website at africansheal.com. Share this episode with a friend and be sure to tune in next week. You